Thanks, Luke. There was uh, something that's kind of fun that happened this morning. Uh, there was uh, some the fellowship hall in the foyer and some and, and the office that I use and a few other places where the carpet was shampooed. And so the one of the big couches that sits in my office was not moved back this morning. And so Dan Staley came up with the idea: is what happened? What would happen if we put the couch on the front row and just see? If someone will come and sit in the front row. And we didn't even have to do that. You guys just rock. You know, that's it. If there's holy points in heaven for the front row, the eaters get it, even without a couch up the front. Man, it's, a, it's amazing. Rock on. You guys are awesome. But we're going to talk about uh, something this morning. Uh, the, the idea of fearing God. Now, when that term comes up, there's part of me that gets really uncomfortable for a bunch of different reasons. Number one... Scripture talks a lot about, like in 1 John, that perfect love drives out fear. And if God is love, then how can I fear God and how is, how is that supposed to work? But also, maybe something more deeper and much more natural within me is, I'm not sure that I want to get near things that I feel like I should fear. Or that term has a lot of, of, of baggage to it. Because what I think of is, kind of on a, on a funnier note, that I took it upon myself when I was a child to instill fear in my sister on a regular basis by hiding behind in her room or something like that and jumping out and scaring her every chance I got. And, and of course, I've repented and we're, we're in good terms now and, and all that. But that was, you know, that wasn't a... I, you know, think about things that are, that are scary out there, but on a deeper level, there is a, things that I'm afraid of are not things that I want to warm up to and get close to. You understand? How many of you can, can understand that? And so here a while back, uh, Mark Morgan just brought up, said, I think it would be great on Wednesday night if we talk about fearing God and what that looks like. I've just seen it a lot in Scripture, and I think that would probably be good for the church to walk through that. So what I'm going to do is, after I, I'm going to give an introduction here to what it means to fear the Lord. And then I'm going to leave us open-ended in some ways. And, and on Wednesday nights here the next while, 7 o'clock during our Bible class time, we have children's classes for all ages as well. We're going to walk through with the, with the adult class on, on just some examples and different ways and what it means to fear God. And I can tell you already that this has been really good for me spiritually uh, and a good reminder, and, and there's some new things that I've dug up that have, been, that have been helpful. And what I've realized, that fearing God, or what I've remembered, realized, whatever, however you want to say it, is that fearing God is a lot less scary than not fearing God, is what it comes down to. Because as I walk through Scripture, whenever it talks about someone did not fear God, that is a scary, scary, scary place to be. And we'll get there here in just a bit. But I'm going to start with a couple of examples of people who feared God. We're going to go all the way back to Exodus. And you remember in Exodus, there's a really sad story that starts off with the Israelites have been there for a while, they've gone into slavery, and the Pharaoh is because they're so numerous, becomes afraid of these all the Israelites. And so tells the midwives that are going around delivering the babies, that throw the babies in the river, get rid of them. And so what it says is that the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do, and they let the boys live. Now think about it from their perspective right here. You've got this king that is in the world that you live in that is all-powerful. He has the authority to to inflict death on people or inflict punishment. And you as a midwife are given very specific direct instructions. You are to execute the boys that are born. That is what you are supposed to do. So as a midwife, you've got a 
question here. Okay, I was trained as a midwife. I want babies to live. I deliver babies. That's what's supposed to happen. But I know that if I don't do what I am told right here, then I could bring serious harm on myself. I could bring serious harm on my family. Who knows what type of destruction is going to come on me. But because the midwives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh that was right there, they were willing to say, nope, we're going to do what God wants us to do instead of what this king wants us to do. And if you continue reading through Exodus there, God blesses these midwives a lot. But on the other hand, you see someone different in this story there in Exodus. And Moses, this is Moses talking to Pharaoh. He says, but I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord. If you read Exodus 9, verse 30, the verse is right above that. What happens is one of the plagues is visited on the Egyptians. And Pharaoh says, all right, Moses, I have sinned and my people have sinned. Please pray to God so that we can have relief from all this pain that we're suffering right now. And Moses' response is, okay, I will pray to the Lord and I will do what you ask, but I know that you still do not fear the Lord. In other words, your apology means very little because I know where your heart is at. And when you read through those first chapters of Exodus, it's really sad because this Pharaoh who has all the opportunity to make decisions that would save his people, that would that would put them in contact with the God who created the world. What he does time and time again, moment after moment, is chooses whatever's going to be selfish, whatever is going to be prideful, and, and he just uh, sets his heart against God and everything. And he's an example of someone who did not fear God. And if we don't fear God, there's all sorts of destruction that, that uh, is inflicted on our lives, and that's definitely the case with Pharaoh here. So fearing God, here's what it is not, Okay living in a constant state of paralyzing fear that God is about to blast you. Okay? Now, sometimes, I've been there. Uh, I think maybe some of us have at different times. The idea, like sometimes you, there's some of the biggest, strongest men that I've ever met coming into a church building. I remember one guy in particular shaking his hand, and his hand was dripping with sweat because he was so terrified of what happens when he came into the church building. Now, I think... Now, there may have been a lot of reasons for that, but he was, he was terrified because on some level somewhere, thought maybe somewhere God is going to blast me and there's going to be lightning that has come down in the middle of the assembly and just turns me to ashes because of the stuff that I've done. Hey, that is not what we're talking about here. Okay, That is something that can bring us to fearing God, but that's something different. But fearing God is understanding that God who created the world is there and he expects us to humbly submit to him. That's what fearing God is about. Here's a passage that talks about it. Fearing God is, and Luke read this, but I want to walk through it and unpack it a little bit more. It says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? Okay, this, That's what God wants. God wants you to fear him. This is what it means. To walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. That's what God wants of you. And so I think about it this way. is If there was, um, I know that in, in my house, and hopefully your house was similar, but um, I can speak about it in, the, in, in terms of the, my house right now. I approach my children and say, look, I want you, this is how things need to work in our house. I've been around a while, and I need you to, to, to obey and to walk side by side with me. 
Okay? What I need to happen is, is I need you to, to walk in obedience. When, we, uh, when Mom and I share, this is how we want things to go in the house. We need you to be obedient. We want, we want you to love us. We want you to, to serve. When we give you responsibilities to do, we want you to serve. And we want you to do those with all your heart. And you're going to follow the house rules just like all the rest of us do. And I'm giving you those today. We want that because of your own good. We don't want you to run around and run out in the street and, and get run over by a car. We don't want all sorts of destructive, hurtful things to happen to you. And that's why we're giving you. That's why we want this. That's just why we want you to understand this. Do you see what God is doing here? He's telling the Israelites, as he has shared, I just want your hearts. I want you to, to fear the Lord, fear me. What that means is a healthy respect that you know that I know what I'm talking about and you follow me. Because it's for your own good. That's what this is all about. That's what, I, what fearing the Lord is about. So let's continue on. We're going to talk about some, some contrast of fearing God in practice. Um, if we don't fear God, here's some things that we can consider. We will not be concerned with the consequences of sin, but if we do fear God in practice, then we are concerned with the consequences of sin. Let me give an example of this. Is, uh, there was, I told this story here a while back, and so I thought about it. Is there was a number of years ago that I was, I was bow hunting, trying to chase some mule deer down, and, um, and this, this rattlesnake showed up. Now, when I see rattlesnake, I do the snake dance. It's an ancient, ancient thing that has been around since, since Adam and Eve, I'm sure. I jump around a little bit. I dance back and forth. Some of you have seen it. A few of you have seen it. Um, there, I was with some of you that when I uh, walked into a rattlesnake a few years ago and you saw the dance. And once my vision clears, I take my bow and I sh- shoot the rattlesnake. Is basically how, how I tend to operate with that. And I remember this one rattlesnake that jumped up and, and, and I put an arrow... And shooting that close, if you've never shot that close with, with archery, it's not, it's not as easy as you think. There's actually takes something to it. But I remember I, you know, this rattlesnake was all coiled up, and my arrow went right down through the middle of the coil, and he was coiled up around my arrow. And I looked down there, and I thought, man, I really want to grab my arrow, but I don't think I should grab my arrow. I think that's going to go very, very badly if I try to grab my arrow. And there's that snake, mad as, you know, I'll get out and, and thinking, no. No, I don't think I should do that. And it works... The, a similar way for us, if we really fear God, then we understand that no matter how good that looks, I'm not going to stick my hand down there because I know that there's consequences. Or think about it this way. How many of you like cupcakes? Okay, some of you are lying. I know there's more of us than that. Okay, cupcakes are, are awesome. Love them. Hey, there is a, a bear trap up at Yellowstone Bible Camp that hangs right above the fireplace in the lodge. And that thing, I mean, it's the, just the mouth of it is that big, and the springs are that big on either side. And um, that thing's scary. It's got all sorts of big teeth in it. And just imagine that we set that trap and put a beautiful chocolate cupcake right on the trigger with wonderful chocolate frosting over the top and sprinkles and... Get the idea? How many of you are going to grab that? Don't no, don't answer that. Okay, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> don't grab that. It's a bad idea. Don't do that. But we know that. We look at that cupcake and think, boy, that looks really, really good. That looks awesome. I think that would be amazing. I think if, I, oh man, maybe I can get my hand in there fast enough and, and nothing's going to happen. 
But hopefully we don't dare do it because we can see how dangerous it is. And fearing God, what it does for us is we're able to think, okay, wait a minute, I know that this sin, whatever it is, fill in the blank, boy, that looks good, that looks enticing, I really want to pursue that, I really think that this might be good, but I don't dare do that. Everything in me is telling me I should do that, but I don't dare do it because I know that God has said, do not do that. And if I do it, I know There's consequences from him, and there's all sorts of other consequences that that happen because I pursued that. And boy, I'm not going to touch that. No matter how good it looks, I'm not going to go near that because of the damage that it can inflict. Now think about this. Moses said in Exodus 20.20, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you and to keep you from sinning. In other words, God works in such a way so that you fear him so that you will not sin. And he does the same for us. Uh, fearing God helps us to, to keep away from sin. I'll give you one more example here, talking about the consequences of sin. Scripture says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. And this is from Proverbs 8, chapter 13, is that when we fear the Lord... We start seeing evil for what it is. That cupcake that's sitting in the bear trap doesn't look that good because we understand what's really there and the damage that can be inflicted on the lives of our own lives and the lives of the people around us when we decide to pursue sin. So fearing God is a huge, important aspect of keeping our lives free of sin and doing that. And if we find ourselves going back into sin on a regular basis, maybe this is something that we could think about, is do I really fear God? Do I really fear who he is and, and what he has shared? Here's another one. If we don't fear practice, we have no good foundation for making decisions. And if we do, we have an eternal foundation for making decisions. Something I've noticed um, is that there is, within our world, if you go back 50 years and even go back a hundred years, if you had a questionnaire of, of hot topics in society, what was right and what was wrong, those, the way people would answer in our society is different depending on the time frame that they live in. You can think about a lot of examples that way. Things that a that, uh, hundred years ago our society would say, well, that's wrong, that's absolutely wrong, and now would say, absolutely, that's right, that's fine, and vice versa. There's things that we would as a society say, no, that's wrong, hundred years ago, our society would have said, yeah, no problem, no big deal, whatever. And so things change depending on what's popular and unpopular in our society, what the conventional wisdom is. But with God, it works differently. And Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. In other words, if we fear God, then what happens is that we're able to, to have this foundation that is solid, that is good. Now, the story that Jesus tells about the difference between a foundation built on rock and a foundation built on sand. When the storms come, only the one on the rock survives. And the same is true for us. Is For making good decisions in life, having that foundation that is God is, is uh, essential for making great, foundation, great decisions. Here's another one. If we don't fear God, we really have no way to process guilt and shame. And if we do, we can possess joy and peace in this life. Um, think about... Um, and this is one of the things that we'll, we'll flesh out some on Wednesday night. And um, something I have noticed um, and experienced to some extent myself is that as, 
as Christians, we can read Scripture and say, okay, God has forgiven me. I see that. That is the promise that he has given. But how come I don't feel it on the inside? How come I still wrestle with this? How come I'm still burdened by stuff that happened before? Or I, I can't seem to shake? You know, all that sort of thing. Can you relate? You understand what I'm talking about? Is that it's easier to get it here than it is here. And I believe that part of the reason is that that happens is that, and there's, you know, that's, all of us are complex. That's a com- more complex question than we can walk through just in a few minutes here. And we'll talk through more of it on a Wednesday night. But if I do not have... I do not fear God, then what happens is there's a side of me like, that can be like Pharaoh, that absolutely my conscience is gone, it is seared, it is taken away, and I don't care what God does or what God thinks, and I'm going to do whatever I want, and I feel no remorse for it whatsoever. And in the extreme cases, we would call that a sociopath. In other words, I do what I want, and I don't care how it affects anybody else, and that's how way I operate. And, and we just have, have pushed away guilt and shame. But on the other side, there can be, the, when the pendulum, like on a big clock, swings the other direction, we can walk through life and, and just be completely burdened by, by what happened and, and just not able to, to be able to process it and not be able to, to allow God to take it away because we get ourselves in a place that we're comfortable with guilt because somehow that... That, that feels like there's, there's punishment to be paid when we just live with guilt. Okay, That's not the only reason that happens, but that's one. It's like some religious groups out there, outside of Christianity, will teach that a person needs to, you know, will, t- will take a, a rod or something like that and, and, and just beat yourself to death you know, terribly with it because that purifies you. And we can do the same on the inside as Christians with guilt, is just hang on to that guilt because somewhere I've got to pay something, I've got to purify myself and all this, I'm just going to hang on to it. Whereas when we fear God in practice, He teaches us over time and to the lives of other people to think about this. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. And that fearing God purifies us. It's like I carry in my backpack a, a water purifier. I'm going to drink out of a stream that I think there might be cows upstream. I use the purifier because it purifies that water and it comes out clean and it comes out good. And that's what happens to us as we uh, fear God, is God allows us to and, and promotes this possession of joy and peace and, and uh, helps provide it for us. Let me give you one more scripture on this here. You who fear the Lord, praise him. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. And so this is just part, I didn't include all of it, but Psalm 22, verses 23 to 25, because he mentions it twice in here, is that being around people that fear the Lord allow me to... Praise in the assembly and uh, fulfill vows that I never could have otherwise. We're good for each other when we fear God. It allows us to, to find that joy and peace in this life. Here's another one. Fearing God in practice. If we don't fear God, I found that we have a lot to be afraid of. And if we do fear God, we have very, very little to be afraid of. Look at Jesus' words here in Matthew 10.28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And I think about what Jesus is saying here, and I've reflected on it quite a bit this week, because 
if, if I do not fear God, what types of things can I be afraid of? If you look at Mark chapter 4 and 5, Jesus, Jesus shows authority over, over the wind and the waves or the deep. Okay? So we can be afraid of nature and those type of things that we can't control out there. Um, how many of you have been following that hurricane that hit the Bahamas and, and some of the Florida? Scary stuff. Yeah, scary stuff. People lost their lives. People lost their life savings. People lost all sorts of things in that. How many of you were just a little eensy-weensy bit afraid when the earthquakes happened here in the last months here? Yeah, the apocalypse is upon us. I actually heard a guy say that in a coffee ship. The apocalypse is upon us. And, okay. I mean, there's been earthquakes before, and there's a lot more coming, I'm sure. You know, we've got, we got a long ways here. But those type of things we can be afraid of. But if we know that God created the world, is among us, that changes it, doesn't it? We can be afraid of, of deep, we can be afraid of, of demons, whether it be sin or whether it be spiritual powers out there that we're terrified of. Um, Jesus, in this particular situation, you can imagine the, the, the people he's talking to are afraid of these religious leaders or re- afraid of the Romans that are terrified because they're so mean and they're so terrible, they're, they're all of that. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 those aren't the people you need to be afraid of. Those are not the people that you, you should fear because they're just temporary, all that. The one that you should fear is God because ultimately he's the one that has the power to, to be the judge. We can be afraid of, of all sorts of diseases. We can be afraid of death. All of those type of things that Jesus in Mark chapter 4 and 5 demonstrates that he has authority over all of those. We can live our lives in absolute terror of things. But if we fear God, as we're called to, we understand that God has got all that. And, and even if we end up with some terrible disease or we end up passing away, which probably most of us will, unless Jesus returns, that's my guess, God's got it. God's got it and all that. And we don't have to fear those things. How many of you know who this guy is right here? Okay, some of you do. Yeah. No, what's that? No, it's not Mandela, but that's actually, I'm going to bring up Mandela here in just a minute. And that gives me a good point here. Kim knows who he is. Kim lived in Africa for a while. Some of you know who he is. This is is Mugabe, Robert Mugabe. He passed away this week, and he was in the news a lot, and it it gave me pause to think. And I wrote some things down about his life. His Robert Mugabe was born in Rhodesia in 1924. He was, uh, grew up in a place where it was a British colony. Rhodesia was. So it was, it was organized and ruled by the British. And in 1964, he was jailed without a trial for 10 years for speaking out against this system and saying, this is not right. There needs to be free elections. Uh, the, uh, the native population needs to have a say in what happens in our country and not just the colonizers. This is not okay. In 1973, he was elected president while he was in jail of the Zimbabwe Union. Um, And he stayed in prison there for a little bit longer. But in 1980, well, when he was was let out of prison the following year, he went out of country for a while. In 1980, he was elected president of Zimbabwe. They changed the name from Rhodesia to Zimbabwe. And there was amazing things started happening. He was exactly... You know, as you said, Noah, the Nelson Mandela of Zimbabwe. And there was increased medical access, there was education, 
uh, was schools were started, and amazing things started happening. And Zimbabwe was held up as the example of Africa to the rest of the world. This is what can happen when you have people that are great leaders, that you put them into uh, positions of authority, and they're able to rally their people doing good things. But what happened over time is Robert Mugabe, and I believe fundamentally because he didn't fear the Lord, started getting paranoid. And what happened is when it came evident that he might not win a free election, he sent his goons into the streets to, uh, to create violence at any political rally that opposed him. He started seeing his goons go and seize uh, property. Uh, there was huge ranches and, and farms that were there in Zimbabwe that employed tons and tons of people. And Mugabe's men went in and ran all of those people off and sent them out of the country, and his people seized those, those great farms. In the process, the economy crashed, and it seems like the worst things got, Mugabe did not have the courage to say, you know, maybe I messed up here, maybe I blew this, maybe I need to step away. But what he did is he tightened his control on things more and more. And what happened in 2017, it seemed like the, the country could never remove him from power, and he just got worse and worse with time. And in 2017, when basically what he said is, my wife is the only one that is capable of leading the country, and she's the only one that I would trust, the army that kept him in power turned on him and removed him from power and said, okay, you're done. You're done. You know, we've gone too far here. And I asked myself the question as I was just reading about him this week, how can a person start so well and finish so poorly? And I believe the answer lies in what we're talking about today, is Robert Mugabe had some great ideas, had some great thoughts, but because he didn't fear God, because he was not one that said, I know that I'm going to be held responsible for everything I do, everything I say. This isn't all about me. This is about honoring God. Because he did not do that. When things got uncomfortable for him, he grabbed power, held on, and, and just and self-destructed in front of the rest of the world and took his country with him. Pretty good example of what we don't want to be, right? So here's a couple of things to consider. Fearing God for us is, I'm going to read this from Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is, is written probably by Solomon. And as someone that experienced all sorts of stuff, tried to find tried to find um, uh, happiness in all sorts of different areas of life. And finishes with this. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And so that's what it all boils down to. After I have looked through everything, I've tried to find happiness in every possible place. I found that the only place to find any type of fulfillment in this life is fearing God and keep his commandments because that is what I was created to do. And when I've done that, I found what I was supposed to be. Second scripture, Paul writes, he says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. There is a, a couple of questions that um, an author wrote here um, that I've, I've pondered and I, I've shared them off and on here the last few weeks. But two big questions there is a God, and I'm not him, or two big truths. There is a God, and I'm not him. 
And when we ask the question, is there a God, we walk through all sorts of apologetics or, or ways that we can believe that God is there. And that's an important question. But the second question is just as important. Because I am not God, what am I supposed to do about things right now? And what Scripture tells us is we start by fearing the Lord, having this tremendous respect for Him, and that guides everything we do from then on. And that's a question I think all of us could ask ourselves is, do I, number one, is there a God? And for most of us here, that question is going to be yes, yes, definitely believe that there is a God. And the second question is, if there is a God, what am I supposed to do about it? And we've got a choice. We can either run from God and we can try to be God of our own life and be God ourselves and just do whatever we want. And spoiler alert, there's a lot of things in history from the Bible and from, from uh, just history in general that it doesn't go well when we do that, okay? I'm just going to tell you that's spoiler alert. That's how it works. But if we decide I'm going to be one that fears the Lord, then we get introduced to the abundant life of Jesus and uh, the rest is history, as they say. And that's my prayer for all of us, is that we uh, just examine ourselves, and you're welcome to come Wednesday night. We're going to be walking through what it means to fear the Lord uh, just in practice some more over the next couple of months. But the big thing to consider is fearing the Lord should change who I am and how I act, and that should be something for all of us to reflect on. If you'd like to become a Christian today or you'd like prayers of the church, Welcome to head to the back. The elders are waiting back there to pray with you and to walk with you through life and whatever burdens you may be carrying right now. Let's stand and pray together.